0: All right, Um, so we've been talking about the gifts of God, and we've been preparing our hearts during the season of Advent, and um, most of you, I think, know by now, but if if you're new or you don't come from a background where they do this kind of thing, Advent simply means the coming, the coming of Jesus. We talked about O come, O come, Emmanuel. Advent means his coming, the celebration of his coming, and we don't just limit it to, hey, Christmas Day, it's here, let's blow it all out, we kind of want to celebrate that and think about what his coming among us means, and that's why we celebrate Advent starting right after Thanksgiving. So we've been thinking about together the gifts that God has given us in his son Jesus. We talked about hope, we talked about peace, we talked about joy, and today I want to talk about the last gift, which really encapsulates and kind of informs all of the other gifts, and that's the gift of God's love. And this gift, I, we've already let the kids out of here, but you know, this gift is greater than all the presents under your tree. It's greater than all the things on your list, your letter to Santa. It's just an awesome gift. It's, uh, it's greater than the desires of your heart, this gift of God's love. But you know, I really struggle, as some of the other speakers have, have said, what what can you say about love that hasn't already been said and more thoroughly and more eloquently? You know, we, we sort of have all of this noise and talk of love in our culture too and how do we separate that out? What our culture talks of as love is, is very different than what we see in the Bible. So how do we look through the, the prism of our experiences and the things in our prejudices to really uncover what love is? I'll remind you, the Bible says God is love. And I think it's very interesting. It doesn't say love is God. So it's not, uh, it's, it's God that gets to interpret what love really is and not the other way around. I believe God's love at Christmas can be summed up in this phrase. And uh, I borrowed this from Alex Buchanan. Now, Alex Buchanan was a British pastor to pastors, a leader. Um, and a prophetic voice, and he, uh, he passed on to be with the Lord uh, recently. But he said in a talk one day, God loves us unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. Well, listening in that talk was a fellow by the name of Nicky Gumbel. How, how many know who Nicky Gumbel is? Okay, Jack's, Jack's not here. Uh, Nicky Gumbel is, the, is a pastor of HTB in London, the vicar of HTB Church in London, and he's the creator of what we call the Alpha Course, which is a course for seekers. Jack's been teaching through that in Winterhaven, and uh, ministering to, to people who want to know who God is, who Jesus is. So um, <clears throat> he was speaking with Nikki after this, and he asked Nikki this question. He says, um, Alex says to him, do you believe God approves of you? How would you answer that question? Do you believe God approves of you? Well, Nikki replied, like many of us would, you know, I really struggle with that because I know things about myself that mean I find it difficult to, to believe that God approves of me. And Alex told him, we all struggle with that, but God wants you to know that he approves of you. God loves you unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. You know, and I think everybody here would probably go, yeah, 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 I know, I know. God loves me, you know, John 3.16, God loved the world, right? But well, let me put it another way for you. God, the God who created all it is, the maker of the universe, who formed the stars and the planets, who put the cosmos in place, loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you with all of his heart. And he loves you continually. To understand the gift of Advent, you really have to let that reality sink deep into your life. In fact, we can say it together. We're going to say this together. God loves you, or God loves me unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. But what I want to do is leave a blank, and we're going to say it together, and you're going to fill in the blank with your name. So in other words, I'm going to say God loves Rick unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. And I'd like you to say it with me and fill in. It'll sound crazy, but just say it out loud and fill your name in the blank. Here we go. God loves Rick unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. Would you pray with me? Dear Father in heaven, source and definer of love, Help us this Advent season to come to a new and profound experience of your love and to an unshakable confidence in your approval of us. Illuminate the words of the Holy Scriptures that reveal your amazing love towards us and draw us to drink deeply of the river of love that flows to us through Jesus, your Son. By your Holy Spirit's power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to go through a lot of scriptures because, you know, guess what? The Bible is chock full of love. So we could, you know, there's a lot of scriptures. So I'm going to take the remaining uh, 240 minutes that we have together (laughs) and just unpack just a few of these scriptures, okay? You'll be home in time for supper, no worries. John 3.16, the basics, right? Everyone can probably quote this. For God so loved the world, you can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Most of us would say we believe that God loves us, and many of us but many of us don't live as if that were true. Why is that? Because we live in fear. You say, "What? Fear? I don't live in fear. Fear of what?" We live in fear of judgment and punishment. We live with the knowledge of those things in our lives that we know disqualify us from God's approval. We fear God's rejection sometimes because we don't fully understand the nature of God's gift of love. So let's look at his word and allow that to inform that. If you've got your Bible with you, you can open it to 1 John chapter 4. The Apostle of Love, he's often called because he speaks so much about love. So the letter of 1 John 4, we're going to look at verses 16 through 18, starting with the second half of verse 16. It'll be up here behind me too. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the Day of Judgment but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. So why do we live in fear of judgment and punishment? It's simple. Deep down, we know we deserve it, right? Right? We know we deserve judgment. We know what's in our hearts. We've read in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then we look over at Romans 6.23 and we see the wages of sin is death. In other words, the payment you can expect for your sin and your failure and your hatred and your prejudice and all of those evil things that you've seen crop up in your life, the wages of sin is death. So we know this and we say, you know what, I I deserve judgment, I deserve punishment. Like Peter, you know, often we want to stand up and say, Lord, just depart from me, leave me alone, I'm a sinful man, why are you you hanging out with me, I'm a sinful man. Here's how uh, the J.B. Phillips translation renders that 1 John passage, I want to read that for you, I think it'll be on the screen. Uh, Philip's translation of 1 John 4, 16b-18. God is love, and the man whose life is lived in love does in fact live in God, and God does in fact live in him. So our love for him grows more and more, filling us with complete confidence for the day when he shall judge all men. For we realize that our life in this world is actually his life, lived in us love contains no fear indeed fully developed love expels every particle of fear for fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty this means that the man who lives in fear has not yet had his love perfected the torture of feeling guilty anybody felt that ever I'm the only one. Okay, there's a couple in here. Yeah, you know, we know we're guilty. We know we've said things that we shouldn't have said. We know we've thought thoughts in our mind that we shouldn't have thought. We know we've done terrible things. So yeah, we feel guilty. But here's where the good news of the Christmas story comes in. This is the part I like. This is the good news. In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter two, verse 10 and 11, the angel says, fear not, For I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. The angels go on to say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And that goodwill is not limited just to the men and women who have kept the law perfectly and never sinned. You see, the truth of Romans 3.23 that we looked at earlier, all have sinned, It's sandwiched between some other wonderful truths, and I want to read that for you. See, God himself has provided forgiveness through his own dear son. So we're going to look at that Romans passage with the context surrounding all have sinned, okay? We're going to start with Romans 3.21, if you want to look in your Bible. But but now God. But now God has shown us a different way of being right in his sight, not by obeying the law, but by the way he promised in the scriptures long ago. Verse 22, we're made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus to take away our sins. And we can be saved in this same way, no matter who we are or what we have done. Verse 23, for all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God, yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Jesus Christ, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. I don't know about you, but I'm awfully glad for the but-now-God and the yet-now-God. So how does God love us unconditionally? By providing the way himself for us to have our sins forgiven and relationship with himself restored before we even make a move towards him. See, so it's not because we've tried to clean up our lives It's not because we've done some good things. It's not because we've even confessed our sin but God took the initiative before we had even done any of that. Now how wild and how weird and how wonderful is that? (laughs) Romans 5.8 While we were yet sinners, he sent his son to die for us. You see, God didn't wait for us to respond to his gift of love. He initiated love towards us before we even knew that we needed it, before we knew we needed a Savior. Now, how do you think God really loves us wholeheartedly? You know, I I was thinking about this. I was thinking, well, in a room like this, we've got 100, maybe 110 people, and you multiply that by all the churches in Lakeland, by all the people in Lakeland, by the state of Florida, the U.S., the world. You think back through the ages, you say, yeah, okay, God loves me, but What am I? I'm a speck of nothingness. I'm like, you know, I'm one gazillionth, I get one gazillionth portion of God's love, right? But that's not the way God's love works, fortunately. God's love isn't like a pie that, you know, we we're gonna cut it up into pieces, and the more people that are getting a piece, well, we gotta cut that pie a little smaller, a little smaller, a little smaller. No, the good news is you As an individual, get all of God's love. I get all of God's love. In the Psalms, David wrote this about the wholehearted love and commitment to us as unique individuals. If you look at Psalm 139, we're going to start with verse 15. The whole thing is wonderful, but um, to get done in the two or three hours, I promised you we're going to limit it to... Psalm 139, verse 15 through 18 says, You watched me as I was formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God! They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Think about this. Those of you with children, especially the first child, right? Where you take pictures of every single thing. By the second, third, or fourth child, I mean, who even knows what they looked like as a baby, right? <laughs> well, they were small and they were cute, but, you know, we don't have any pictures. But think about that first child. You got albums of all these pictures, right? Or now electronic devices with my wife, like she can't even make a phone call because she has 10,000 pictures on her phone of grandchildren. One in particular, but we won't go there with the prejudice thing. (laughs) They know. (laughs) Right? So, you know, think of all the pictures of your precious one, of your child that you look at. Oh, I, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember when those teeth fell out. Serenity is now singing, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. (laughs) This huge gap here. And you think back, all the precious memories as you look at these pictures. Well, that's what God is doing with you, only (laughs) he did it before you were born. He had the book of your life, and he was looking at, oh, wow, look look at Andy when he was little. Look at those ears. (laughs) Wow. Wow, Andy's going to play guitar. That's going to be awesome. I'm going to use that in his life. And, And on and on. And he does that with each one of us. He looks at us as individuals, and he has the book of our life all written out. And he looks with great joy and great pleasure on us. In 1 John, again, chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, it says this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And then Paul says that God loves us so completely that everything he has is ours. So you talk about wholehearted love, Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? That's wholehearted love, isn't it? Not even sparing his own son, but with him, freely giving us all things. So how does he love us continually? I'm glad you asked. God has promised to finish and complete the work that he has begun in each of us, He's not satisfied with you and I to just barely squeak by in life. Did you know that? He's not happy when we just barely make it by the skin of our teeth and we just make it into heaven. Just Oh, we just barely made it. We're dragging this huge burden behind us. He wants us to live lives of victory and peace and joy and and all of those things that we spoke of, hope, throughout Advent. He wants you to live in victory and to fully enjoy the love relationship that he has initiated with you. In Philippians 1.6, we read this, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So God loves us continually in that he's committed to us when we say yes to Jesus When we say yes to his invitation of eternal life, which means not only forever and ever, but means here and now, the quality of life that you have is eternal, not just the length of life that you have. So he wants to have that love relationship impact us so much that we're going to continue to grow and grow in his love and draw closer and closer to him until he completely transforms us over time into the likeness of Jesus. The Bible also tells us that he loves us continually by praying for us. We're reminded in Hebrews 7.25 and in 1 John 2.1 that we have an advocate. We have one who's interceding before God the Father, who's saying, God, would you, would you help my son? Would you help my daughter? Would you not hold that sin against them? Would you forgive them, Lord? And we know the basis of our forgiveness is Jesus' own sacrifice. And so he's ever there with a the father on our behalf, continually, night and day, day and night. So these and many, many more, I mean, literally we could have an exhaustive study on how God loves us, but these are just a few that testify that God loves you unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. And now I want to tell you a little Christmas story. I did not originate this. I found this, but uh, I loved it so much I wanted to uh, share it with you. It's called Two Babies in the Manger. Anyone heard this? Two Babies in the Stop me if you've heard this one. Okay. <laughs> two Babies in the Manger? Question mark. So in 1994, two Americans answered an invitation from the Russian Department of Education. And I remember when this took place, I remember reading other testimonies about this but they answered this call from the Russian Department of Education to teach morals and ethics based on biblical principles in the public schools. They were invited to teach at prisons, businesses, fire, police departments, and a large orphanage. About 100 boys and girls who had been abandoned, abused, and left in the care of government-run program were in this orphanage. So they related this following story in their own words. It was nearing the holiday season. In 1994, time for our orphans to hear for the first time the traditional story of Christmas. We told them about Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem, finding no room at the inn. The couple went to a stable where the baby Jesus was born and placed in a manger Throughout the story, the children and orphanage staff sat in amazement as they listened. Some sat on the edges of their stools, trying to grasp every word. Completing the story, we gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a crude manger. Each child was given given a small paper square cut from yellow napkins I had brought with me. There was no colored paper available in the city. Following instructions, the children tore the paper and carefully laid strips in the manger for straw. Square, small square, squares of flannel cut from a worn-out nightgown that an American lady was throwing away as she left Russia were used for the baby's blanket. A doll-like baby was cut from tanned felt we had brought from the U.S. The orphans were busy assembling their manger as I walked among them to see if they needed any help. All went well until I got to one table where little Misha sat. He looked to be about six years old, and he had finished his project. As I looked at the little boy's manger, I was startled to see not one, but two babies in the manger. Quickly, I called for the translator to ask the lad why there were two babies in the manger. Crossing his arms in front of him and looking at At this completed manger scene, the child began to repeat the story very seriously. For such a young boy, who had only heard the Christmas story once, he related the happenings accurately, until he came to the part where Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger. Then Misha started to ad-lib. He made up his own ending to the story, as he said, and when Maria laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked me, if I had a place to stay. I told him, I have no mama and I have no papa, so I don't have any place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everybody else did. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much, so I thought about what I had that maybe I could use for a gift. I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anybody ever gave me. So I got into the manger, and then Jesus looked at me and he told me I could stay with him for always. (laughs) So, pardon me. (laughs) As little Misha finished his story, his eyes brimmed full of tears that splashed down his little cheeks. Putting his hand over his face, his head dropped to the table and his shoulders shook as he sobbed and sobbed. This little orphan had found someone who would never abandon or abuse him and someone who would stay with him forever. Misha discovered the gift of God's love, that God loved him unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and would do so continually. So this is the great gift of God's love that we celebrate at this time of year. It's really a gift of Jesus the Savior himself, of him giving himself to us and for us. The bottom line is John 3.16, which we looked at earlier. God loved us so much that he gave us his own son. And his gift of love, inviting us to become a part of his family, if God were suddenly to appear right now and actually sit down next to you, turn towards you, look straight in your eyes, do you know what he would say? Do you know the words that would come out of his mouth? Well, I don't know everything he would say, but I think it would go something like this. My child, my precious child, I love you. Then he might say something like, I approve of you. I made you for relationship with myself. And I love you unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and continually. That's the message of the Bible, that throughout the ages, God has been saying, I love you. He said it in the Garden of Eden. A little noise there. He said it through the Ark. He said it before the Ark to Adam and Eve. He said it through the Old Testament. He said it in the manger, and he said it through the cross. I love you. In the resurrection, he said, "I love you." So whether you're really excited about Christmas this year or whether you're really struggling. And we prayed earlier, we recognize that, you know, within any group of people, not everything is all, you know, peaches and cream at Christmas. Not everything is all goodness and light. There are folks in this room who have heavy hearts. It may be, you're reflecting on the loss of a loved one. Maybe this is the first Christmas without That loved one. Maybe there's financial pressure and stress in your life. Maybe there's relational breakdown. Whatever that is, God wants to renew his love towards you. And he wants to fill you up with his love. His hope, his joy, his peace. At this Christmas time, at this Advent time. So what I'd like to do is the invitation, Andy, is just say... If there's any one of you, now, you know, you may be sitting here, I'm not going to rule this out, you may be sitting here, you know, I, I've never even asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I've never come to the place where I said yes to the Christ child or yes to the grown Savior, the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords. I've never come to that place where I asked him to take away my sins and I asked him to take up residence in my heart. I'm going to switch to this. So so maybe that's you today. Maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Today would be a great time to do that. He's offered his gift to you. All you have to do is receive it. It's not a gift you have to earn. It's not a gift you can earn. It's just a gift you have to receive and take to yourself and unwrap all of its goodness and all of its blessing.